Parents often say they never stop worrying about their offspring, but how does parenting change as your children become adults? And are today's adult children more dependent on their elders for longer? What's the roadmap for parents here? Neuroplasticity educator and parenting expert Nathan Wallace is in our Christchurch studio. Uh, kia ora, Nathan. Kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you very much. Uh, something you've got some personal experience of, of, of course, but so yep. have so many others. Mm, um, absolutely. And I guess, is there a roadmap for this? All the books are about newborns or tweens <laughs> yeah, or teens. What happens yeah. when they're 20s and 30s and up? Yeah, I know. Who told them they were grown-ups at 18? You know, like if you live with an 18-year-old, you see that grown-up flashing through. But yeah, I mean, straight away, what, what age are they when they become an adult? Because that's changed over the last 30 years, you know. If you're a boy who's not the firstborn, it might be 32 before you're actually an adult. So, I mean, that hasn't changed. It's just that we can measure it now. But um, yeah, it's an interesting it, it, it topic. It has changed in a way in that the life kind of... Uh, the life expectations yeah. have become way more flexible, right? Yeah. Uh, and and there's way more kind of uh, v- variety in the way these years will unfold for someone when yep. it comes to those old tick box responsibilities, you know? Yeah. Partner, kids, house, whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's normal to have your 24-year-old living at home now. That's not seen as, you know, anything unusual. Whereas, you know, a couple of generations back, they would have been married and had two kids by then. So those things change, and childhood does seem to have gone longer. Um I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, though. Like in, in um, nature, the longer the childhood, the better the outcomes. You know, the more intelligent the creature. So maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, the question is what it means for parenting. And even if we go back a generation, you might mm. have had the idea that the kids went flatting from 18, yeah. 19. If we're talking mm. urban families here, yep, right? that's what I did. Yep, yep. so mm-hmm. they're all flatting. And this mm-hmm. is, it's the elephant in the room which is the financial stresses that yep. are limiting some of these choices. Yep. But okay, let's say we're back a generation and all your kids moved out when they were 18, 19, whatever. Travelled, yep. maybe did their OE, uh, mm-hmm. maybe went to uni, maybe went straight to work, whatever. Yep. Um, what, did that, what did parenting look like then? And then we'll talk what it looks like when there just seems to be that much more practical, longer connection. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose there's always been a variance in terms of, you know, some kids stayed at home a little bit longer. It's just that that group's increased now, but they're always there. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think it was always usual for your kids to disappear at 18. There's always an ongoing relationship, you know, and there's always stories about them coming home and eating and going straight to the fridge and stuff. So I think there's always been a transition period between, you know, that young adult that might leave home and get a flat and then the actual adult, you know, um, and that transition can go on for a few years. They may come home with the washing still at yeah, weekends. Yeah, they might have actually had a flat, but they, yeah, they're still, like you say, they're still coming home with the washing. Yeah. Mm. There was another thing that occurs to me, is that even when kids stayed at home uh, mm. in earlier times, whenever they are, yep. <laughs> whatever mm. they are, they might have had a room downstairs or whatever, and you might still, they might have become increasingly independent before even moving out. Yeah. Uh, and I guess what's the parents, what's the role, what's the rights, mm. and what's the responsibilities in either of these situations? Yeah, because parents are much more isolated now. You know, in our generation, and you've got to go back one generation, and 80% of people lived in the same community as their extended family. So the kids had lots of uncles and aunties and grandparents available, and now um, 80% of people don't live in the area of their extended family. So parents raising kids, I think the relationship's much more intense. You're a lot more of their emotional coach and stuff. You used to have a village, now it's often left down to you, so... I think there's you know more reliance on the kids for you for their um, support, and we converse more. You know, like um, I talk to my kids much more about sort of meta conversations about um, how we think. I never had those conversations with my parents. I remember my <clears throat> mother saying, 
um, when we're talking about play. She was like, oh, I never thought it was my job to play with kids. Like, you know, my generation, it was like, I had to look after you. I didn't have to play with you. You played with each other. Um, so you have different ideas each generation. I suppose this is possibly also, and we're speaking very generally, mm. the helicopter generation of parents coming yep. into older parenthood. Mm. And whether you look at that as a pejorative term or actually just more involved parenting, how, how yeah. do you do the transition? Yeah, it's all context, isn't it? Because you need to be a helicopter parent sometimes. It's just protecting your kids. But if you're overdoing it, then you're not helping anyone. Yeah. So what's... Um, what are some of the things people should think about if they want to do this well for themselves yeah. and, and mm-hmm. for the kids? I think often that what stood out in my mind was that but around between 20 and 24, they're often going through quite a critical period of their childhood when they're analysing your parenting. And, um, you know, not full on, but I suppose my advice to parents would be when they first do, because I think they're an adult. Someone told them they were an adult at 18, so now they've been an adult for a couple of years, they've arrived, um, and they reflect on their childhood. When they come up with a criticism, um, be open to that. Don't be defensive. I think that's a key moment, because um, I see parents go one of two ways. They either you know, argue back that that's not what happened, and often it's not what happened, but I, you know, I'd advise parents to let go of what actually happened and just listen to what their experience of it was. And I think the best response is, um, oh, you know, I'm glad you told me that. Um, I'm sorry that was your experience of it. Um, and I find if you just say that, they're so open to everything after that. That's really so that, important because what you're mm. also doing at this stage is establishing what your relationship is going to be like going forward yeah. when they may be living somewhere else with someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's your almost your last chance to make an open, connected yeah. relationship, whatever's yeah. gone before. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully you've sort of been doing that. You know, when I work with parents, I advise them around to having that sort of consultative style, you know, from, from adolescence, really. So even as adolescents, you're kind of treating them like they're an adult because they're involved in all the decision-making. So you're just generally, you know, I don't think there was a dead cut-off point when I stopped having that parent authority over my kids because it was just a slow transition thing that they took more and more responsibility themselves. Boundaries we talk about a lot in parenting, and they alter over time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you still get to have some when you've got your teens under your roof, they're at school maybe under your roof, mm-hmm. under your roof full stop. But, but what do you do with boundaries as they begin to get older under your roof? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, if, uh, yeah, if they're under your roof, it's still kind of a wee bit of a power dynamic towards the parents there. You know, this is the, that's how we do things here. I think the key is to be open to them discussing why we do that here. And, you know, that you might have to justify it to them. But I think having those conversations is, is good for them. It's, it's how they understand the world and how they understand how we construct it. And it helps you to understand why there ha- has to be that way. Or maybe there is another way of doing it and being open to their suggestion. I thought all of that's just good decision making. And it's like an apprenticeship for your child that they, that's how they learn to make good decisions. The difference between children and parenting is always a tricky one, and when they're younger, it's it's not fair. What about when mm. actually it can truly become it's not fair when they're older? What if one is more emotionally or practically needy than another mm. yeah. or other siblings? Yeah, I think that would be normal. There's, you know, because everyone's got a different temperament, don't they? So some people are more emotional, and um, or just the relationship's different with each of your children. So, yeah, I know that um, you know one of my children took much longer. And that intensity of relationships sort of stayed 19 till they were like 24. <laughs> like, um, I think you just respond to that individual style. And if you've had, got a good relationship and good communication with the kids, you know, I think they just un- they understand that kid's personality too. So they know they require more attention. So, yeah. I think it's just, yeah, you have to have the individual relationship that you have with that person. And I often say to the kids, 
I'm not trying to have the same relationship, so it's not a good comparison to compare my relationship with like your sister or my relationship with you, because I'm not trying to have the same relationship. You're different people. It's a different relationship. So actually, because of that bit older, you can be more, um, what's the word, more yeah, uh, sophisticated like ref- yeah, reflect in the way and, you talk about how things work. Yeah, yeah. I think I always did a little bit of that as they were growing up, you know. I know I'd say things like... Um, I understand that that's how you feel right now and that your 12-year-old self 100% feels that that's what's going to happen. But I want to make your 12-year-old self happy, but I also have to think about your 33-year-old self that's going to be looking back on the situation. And if I stand outside of it, as a good parent, I don't think it would be good for me to do that. I don't think your 33-year-old self would thank me for letting you like leave school now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think those meta-conversations, that's, you know, metacognition is an executive function. It's um, good to develop that third-person thinking. Here's a question. What do you do when your 19-year-old son has been dating his girlfriend for two years and no one in your family thinks she's right for him and she mm. makes no effort to be part of your family? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah, because it's a two-way street. Yeah, she's made no effort to be included. There could be multiple reasons for that. It doesn't mean she doesn't like them. It depends on the background she's come from. It could be the son wanting to keep, you know, because often at that age they're really embarrassed with their family. So it's like, um, yeah, well, just different sorts of relationships too. Not everyone is a... I mean, I suppose he's 19 and going out with her for two years, but he might not think she's a keeper, so he's not bringing her home like she's the girlfriend of the time. You know, you don't, probably not at that age, but there's just so many reasons for that. So I think you can't make a rule that he has to. So you can only, all you can do is be as hospitable as you can, as open as you can to making her feel as welcome as possible. So How much do you talk about it by this stage? How much is it up to them? And how much are you just dying to give your life wisdom? And, and should you yeah. give your life wisdom? I think it's pretty much up to them at this age. You know, look, when you're 19, the world's told you you're an adult at 18. Um, you, and you think, instead of seeing an adult as a growing thing, you tend to think it's a state of, that you've arrived at. You know, you're about to like 26 before you realise, oh God, there's so much further to go. <laughs> like, um, So, yeah. Sorry, I lost my trail of thought there. Another, pa- another family-related one. My partner and I have yeah. been together 12 years. His son is 33 and married with a one-year-old son. He does not seem to want me to be a family member and ignores me every time we visit. Sounds like it's the son who's ignoring her. Okay, this is the mother. Sorry, I got confused. No, this is so. This this is the um, technically stepmother, but but um, okay. this this kid's thirty three, right? This guy's thirty three. Yeah. So it sounds like she's the partner of the father, oh, yeah. and the son okay. does not seem to want her to be part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's difficult, isn't it? He's obviously got his own story going on in his head that might be stopping that. I mean, if she's tried to have a conversation with him, I don't know how appropriate that would be and how much, how easily that would uh, turn up in the situation but if she tried to have a conversation just finding out if there's anything blocking, it might be he's not even aware, you know, he could just be um, nude brought into awareness you'd have to find out what is the cause of the story he's got in his head that's excluding her and is there anything she can do to change it because, you know, if that's part of a story and he's made that decision, maybe no matter how nice she is or how, how good her relationship skills are, if he's made that decision then she's not going to be able to. It's interesting it's the, is it the partner's gig, the father's gig, to have mm. the conversation about do you have an issue with she feels left out? Yeah, it's difficult isn't it? Um <laughs> you, you would think the father would, but do they have to get on? You know, mm. she has to, you know, they don't have to have to, um, as long as it's not making people uncomfortable. You know, um, yeah, I think there just needs to be the conversation, because eh? it could just make everyone's life a whole lot easier, and he just might not be aware. 
The pressure um, on girls, says this writer, the pressures on girls and incidents of anxiety-related issues are so high now that the parenting mm, dynamic has completely changed. It's not just food, water, shelter for teens. You're their therapist, sounding board and fact-checker. Mm. There's a lot of self-management needed. Support for parents to maintain connections through the anxiety storms is key, but no one talks about it. What a really good mm. point. Well, that is a really good point. Mm. Mm. Um, I think we've always been those things to our kids. It's just, you know, a good parent has always been their, their teenagers, therapists and stuff. Um, I think yeah, my thing with, we have got a whole generation that's got anxiety and we can talk forever about what the reasons are for that. But the result is we do have all these kids that are anxious and they do need more support. But if you know the right support to give them, it's, um, you know, if, if kids are learning mindfulness, because when you've got anxiety, you've basically got an over-aroused you know, central nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system. But the other system in the human body to calm that down and regulate that and get to all the good stuff is the parasympathetic nervous system. So you have to engage that as well. So if my kids are saying, I've got anxiety, then I'm like, oh, I'm really you know, so sorry to hear that. Um, what we, but my next question would be, what are we doing to counteract that then? Have we started doing yoga? Are we doing mindfulness? Are we doing meditation? Are we exercising regularly? You know, not jumping down their throats with it, but not having a passive response to aggression, to our anxiety, but more of a proactive, I've got this, an aroused system, so how do I calm that down? And that gives the kids that metacognition stuff we were talking about before. They understand their system and how to work it and that you make better decisions when you're calm and that knowledge of self, know thyself, is a really powerful tool. So it's a silver lining, I think, to things like anxiety as they learn to understand the human system and how to work with that a whole lot better. Let's talk about the finance thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, talking about an imaginary generation, but actually the, it, it was yeah. more common um, a, a generation or two ago for uh, kids in their 20s to be able to buy a house. Yeah. Get a partner, buy a house. And mm-hmm. now it's, uh, it just seems to be, unless you've got um, you know, a, a massive family inheritance or whatever, that's going to be yeah. a, a tall story for you. Here's hoping how, for that. <laughs> how, do you navigate, how, do, how do you navigate your financial needs, your kids' financial needs, different kids' financial needs? What are the rules anymore? Yeah, I think we're going to have to create those rules. You know, I suppose every generation does to an extent, but I mean, um, we're going to have to find other solutions because people aren't going to have that much money to buy a house at 20, you know, for a deposit. So you are starting to see things like um, people house sharing, getting two or three families living in the same house. Now, that can be a sad story. That's things of, you know, urban overpopulation. Or it can be a positive story about getting the village back around our people and, you know, if you've got the right space and the right amenities. Um, But people are going to have to think outside the square. And not all parents are in the position where they can just give their kids a hundred grand to help top up their, um, their, you know, their, what they need for a deposit. So we are going to have to think outside the square. They're going to be renting for a whole lot longer. Um, yeah, I mean, the only solutions I can think is jobs are becoming more remote. Increasingly, you can work from home. So it does open up a few options for that generation because they don't have to live right in the centre of the city where the you know where the land's the most expensive. They can live in Coromandel and just come into work once a week. It can create real family frictions, especially if one kid thinks another kid is uh, is putting too much pressure on a parent. And just to that note, um, mm. separations is another thing. I, su- I presume, statistically, it is probably the case that there are more. There's much more solo parenting happening around this age and stage yep. again. Yep. But but another um, another factor is when perhaps a child's relationship breaks up and they want to move back home, or for any reason they want to move back home, and they might be yep. late twenties or thirties, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, what are the what are the rights, responsibilities, and rules? Yeah, it's very individual, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I, you know, um, I sort of like uh, I understand that you don't really get an adult brain to somewhere between eighteen and thirty-two. So I think of that as a transition time. Um, 
love the kids coming home for a short period of time. You know, they're not going to live at home that much longer. They're not likely to be coming home at 46. So I just, and they're only probably going to be there, you know, a few months. I know you always hear the horror stories. They stay for 10 years and stuff. But <laughs> often that's because it's uh, mutually beneficial. Their parents like them being there and it works for them to be there. And why not? Um, yeah, so... The kid who won't leave home it. and you're beginning to worry that actually it is, yeah, it is a stunting their... Yeah. development and advances human beings. They might be late yeah. 20s, 30s, okay. or older. Yeah, my How cousin had this. <laughs> my cousin had this. It? She sold the house and brought a house bus. No room for the kids. That was probably an extreme way of doing it. But, I mean, it is a two-way relationship. You've just got to tell the kids this is how it is, yeah. you know, and we're going to be doing this. And, Start and charging a decent whacking board might help. Yeah, that'd change it, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 80 bucks a week ain't covering it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other one that just occurs to me, of course, is, gre- is grandchildren coming along. And you've, seen, you've just hit the nail on the head. You can look at this mm. one of two ways. There are some people who want as much time and as much hands-on grandparenting as they can get. Yeah. And then there are others who think, actually, you're kind of using me as a free childcare centre. It's oh, no, personal. It comes down to relationships. Mm. It comes work then when you've got them that mm. often too. And that takes away the whole joy of being a grandparent. Yeah. It's not that much work in being a grandparent. So <laughs> you, know, you it's all love the, your grandkids. You want, yeah. it, you want to be involved, but actually um, you you are being used. And, and look, let's look at the stresses, the cost of childcare, trying to manage, perhaps trying to manage with a separated partner. Mm-hmm. We get it. But yeah. how do you have the conversation if you feel like you're just a little bit too much of the go-to in this situation? Oh, well, that's down to you in some ways because you've got to put in place your own boundaries around that. You have to be saying yes all of the time. So if you've agreed to look after the kids from nine to two, you know, four days a week, um, and that you've agreed to that, then assumably you're happy with that. If they're then not picking them up until six or seven o'clock, you know, four nights a week, you just start putting in place your own boundary with that. You say, I've got an dentist appointment at um, half past four on Tuesday, so if you can make sure you've got the kids at three, you know, you've got to put your own boundaries in place, I think, and um, the other person will follow them. And the grandparenting, again, it's another whole topic we might do another time, but that's another one where you also need to have your antennae out for when your style, your involvement, your mm-hmm. endless profound wisdom is perhaps less welcomed than you presumed it would be. Yeah, there is always a generation gap, eh? I mean, I see my daughter parent much better than I did. It's like she took everything that I took 30 years to learn and got to the height of it. She started at that place. So it's, uh, you know, it's a real privilege to her parent, but um, I wouldn't want to do all the work that she does. <laughs> like, you know, that would kill me. <laughs> I could last for an hour and a half of what she does 24 hours a day. But it's about being sensitive to how much your advice and input is yeah. wanted, and perhaps yeah. how you couch that, and when you couch that. Yeah, yeah. you wait till they ask, really. Um, because otherwise, it is, yeah, there is always a generation gap. They're always doing things differently. So your information, you know, because I do it for a job, and I've got all the qualifications around that, but still my information is and my approach to parenting, I haven't parented a child in, in this generation, you know, so it's not all relevant information. It's done differently. I, I mean, I did time out when my daughter was little. You know, now that would be horrific. She would just think that's child abuse. <laughs> like, um, I thought it was great because I wasn't hitting them, and that's what my parents had done. So, so you're not always conscious of the stuff that you're doing with the best of intent. There is always a generation gap, and I think we've got to respect our kids and how they parent. And stay in that grandparent role. Have your own boundaries, your roles to support, but not to criticise or direct that parenting. You get all the good stuff from your grandchildren because you don't have to do that. You're they're worrying, the parents are worrying about all of that stuff. You're just having a high quality relationship. You're not trying to shape them or, or you know, get these values into them or take responsibility for their behaviour. You're just really trying to enjoy them. Nathan, thank you.